You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. Hey, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with uh, my very, very special guest today, my regular host, Adam Hawkins, and his friend, Jamin Roller. Jamin, how you doing today, buddy? I'm good. I appreciate that introduction. You're welcome. It means a lot. You are, seriously, you're a very special man. I'm really glad you're here with us today. And Adam, you're normally here, and I'm always glad to see you. When's the first time in your life you can remember really, really wanting something? What did you want? You doing all right? Are you reading a book right now, or are you in here with us? The, I, I'm in, I'm so into what you're saying. This is what I remember, honestly. I came, it was Christmas morning. I came downstairs. And How old was, do you think you were at this I was point? probably three or four. Okay. And I saw a bike and it was a He-Man bike and I jumped on it and I thought, this is the best thing I've ever seen. This is <laughs> the on. best show I've ever seen. And they made a bike about it <laughs> and I jumped on it and I wouldn't get off and it was my brother's. So it wasn't even mine. So it was a really you got the difficult. Bike. Yeah, and so then I just remember kind of looking at it for weeks and weeks on end and thinking, if only, if only. my parents loved me. I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah. So you really wanted your your parents' affection. That's and really what I. Bike. Yeah. You have memories from when you were three or four. I do. I have a lot of them. Me? Yes. What's the earliest? That's pretty impressive. I you have barely, memories from three or four? I don't remember much of this morning at this point, <laughs> but I do have some memories that go pretty far back. Jamin, you have you have some childhood memories of things that you really wanted? Oh, yeah. It's interesting because they're, they're parallel in some ways. I don't think I was three or four, but I can remember Christmas at my grandparents in Oklahoma City, and I had wanted these Batman roller skates. Seen them in a magazine. Batman, not I roller think. blades, roller skates. Well, that's actually part of the story. I oh. wanted the roller skates... And I woke up, very first present I opened up, it was the Batman roller skates, and I'm so excited, and I put them on. And then my cousins, who are older than me, and my brother, who's older than me, they open up their present, and it's Batman roller blades. And I felt immediate disappointment <laughs> in, my, in my roller skates. So our earliest memories are filled with, with wanting something that was followed by just some sort of level of disappointment. That's, yeah. I'm sorry, That's guys. I mean, you always wanted to be an inline skater. Did you know you always what, wanted to be a biker? <laughs> did you know what rollerblades were before that moment? Uh, yeah, I think what I thought was that everyone wanted the skates. Okay, <laughs> and I was the only one that wanted the they skates. All asked for the, got the they all asked for the blades, and yeah. you got the skates because yeah. you asked for roller skates. And here's here's what they knew that I didn't know. It's a lot easier to rollerblade than to roller skate. Oh, so you took on the bigger challenge, Jamin. Yes. You took on the greater challenge yes. of learning how to roller skate. Yes, and they were they were the present that not that I deserved, but that I, I needed, I think. <laughs> Batman. There it's you go. what you needed at the time. Did I get the quote right? No, not even close, but that's all right. <laughs> well, that's why I'm only a guest. <laughs> yeah. Culture Friend of the show. I have a instead of a timer today, I actually have a countdown until you're off this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that hurts my well, feelings. <laughs> well, it was a Christmas. joke. It was a joke at your expense, but it was still a joke. Well, today we're going to be talking about consumerism, both uh, where we see it in our culture, but also where we see it in Christianity and how to guard Christians and guide th Christians through it. So I'm looking forward to it. We want your answer to the question. Well, then you should have probably asked. 
Got it. Okay. Would you like That's to know? Not hey, this... boys, would you like to know what I liked when I was a kid? That's how it usually works. Yep. Yeah, we eventually we turn the corner yeah. and say, well, I'd like to share this, but this will probably hurt your feelings. There's something I really, really wanted as a kid. It was a Timex watch, digital. Wow. And it, I loved it, but I never told my parents I wanted it. And on Christmas morning, opened up the gift, and it was the Timex watch no I way. wanted. And guess what, guys? Mm. It was mine. No way. And nobody else got a better watch that year. And it was fairly easy to use. Put it on. I wish I still had it, honestly. And I loved that watch. I wore it constantly to the point where I got a rash underneath it because I wore it all the time. And I remember somebody telling me, yeah, you can't wear that watch anymore. It's giving you a rash. And I wept. Wow. It's like, I love that watch. Wow. Well, on today's episode, we're talking about consumerism, why we want the things we want, why we need to have them, and how that influences and affects our culture. So I'm excited about talking about it both inside, outside the church. Jamin Roller, your pastor, lead pastor here at Citizens Church, alongside your compatriot, your partner, your... Com- your, what do you guys call each other? The Acquaintance. The, your acquaintance, Adam Hawkins. Colleague. The lead pastor of Citizens Church. And we have you on here, Jamin. I believe, Adam, am I right that uh, Jamin is the most consumeristic pastor that we could think of <laughs> in, in the I, moment? That's why he's on the show. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's why he's on this episode. Uh, that's not true. But Jamin, I, <laughs> you do think really well about culture and you think really well about, uh, as we get into the isms, this is actually, we should say, this is the first episode of Many Will Do This Season on isms. Today's about consumerism. Jamin, can you give me just a brief definition? What is consumerism? I have two definitions in front of me that I... So these uh, are not Jamin originals. These are... Okay. Nope. I think they're both helpful. Uh, One is the protection or promotion of the interest of consumers. Okay. And then the next one, and it's actually labeled as a derogatory definition of consumerism, but I think it actually captures what we're wanting to talk about. And it's this, the preoccupation of society with the acquisition of consumer goods. Okay, say that one more time. The preoccupation of society. With the acquisition of consumer goods. Yeah, that does sound derogatory. Mm -hmm. Because should society be preoccupied with the desire and need for consumer goods? And I think all of us would say, maybe, if they're actually good for them. Because a lot of stuff, like we'll talk about in here, some of this is amoral. There are some things that are good and helpful. But a preoccupation with having more, having next having new, that's kind of what we think of when we think about consumerism. And we think about it both in the culture and in the church, but what are some examples in popular culture? Like what comes to mind, Adam, when you think about consumerism and being an American? I, man, I think it is the heart of America. I think consumerism is what America is about. Uh, And that may sound negative, but what I mean by that is I can't, America, in some ways, has turned everything into a good to be bought or sold. Yeah. Um, And so, uh, you know, think of greed as good. Think of statements like that. That's what that's that's what I think. I think about and and let me say, I don't know know that all all the things that have come from that are necessarily negative, right? Um, Just thinking about. more goods being available. People thinking about, hey, how I can, how can I get products into people's hands? Let me think about how I can. But it's created in us 
a drive for more, a drive for wealth. It defines your defined uh, success and failure are defined by either how much you can are able to consume with your wealth, or maybe how much you're able to produce as a person in a job and things like this. So it goes to the very heart, I think, about uh, the very heart to what America is. Yeah, like our values tied up in it. That's what I mean. And not only that, but uh, so much of our American industries are tied into, is there a need for what you're trying to produce? And if there's not, yeah. how do you create a need for That's what right. you want to provide? Yes. Even, I mean, uh, all cards on the table. We have a podcast here, and it'd be great to, like, we try to market the podcast. Here's why you should listen to it. Yeah. This is something worthwhile. It's worth the time you're spending right now listening to us navigate consumerism. Why? Because we think as Christians, it's good to to involve the culture. We're in that even moment. We're fostering a need for something that we're asking somebody to spend their time on, Yeah. to say, be a consumer. And in many ways, intrinsically, implicitly, without even thinking about it, we are trained to be consumers. I yes. can't remember what the statistics are and how many commercials most people have seen by the time they're in, you know, in high school or by the time they're in college. It's, it's alarming how many you've seen, although maybe in the Netflix culture of, of binge watching and streaming things and you getting to choose what you watch, we are, uh, let, there's less um, exposure to commercials than maybe there used to be through television. But certainly, uh, even a television program or a system like or a, um, a Netflix as a way to consume those, these are all products. And consumerism is, to your definition, Jamin, something, it's a derogatory sense of a preoccupation with things that I, I want or I need. So how do we see that uh, manifest negatively in people? When you think of like, if I had to counsel somebody through a, a preoccupation with needing more, where do, you, where do you see that? Do we actually ever have that even happen? Are there people that you guys are struggling with who want to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak? Well, I think what, what's helpful about the, the definition, that even the word preoccupation, is that what it's not saying is it's not saying that to be in a society that, uh, that is able to acquire consumer goods is not in and of itself bad, but consumerism, as we're talking about it, maybe in the more negative sense, is because that, into Adam's point, it's really kind of the spirit of the age we're living in that that, that, that uh, has elevated to a place um, that the human heart was not designed for that to occupy. So the, the preoccupation of society with the acquisition of human goods, in other words, it has become part of what we believe uh, we need uh, for life to be full or for life to be satisfying and those kinds of things. And so I think... I think as Christians, we have language for talking about this in terms of how we maybe order our loves, how we prioritize our life, right? And so what I think where it becomes very important to have the conversation is to just be able to identify where maybe some of that um, disordered yeah. love is coming out in our lives, meaning how how do I... Res and, and you've already made the point, right? It's taking an audit of our time and maybe even an audit of the negative emotions that we're experiencing and why we're experiencing them and what we're experiencing them in response to and how much of that can be chalked up to, I need fill in the blank and that's not what I have, or yes. I have fill in the blank and I'm worried about losing it. Excellent. I think especially what you said there about it, it it's designed to occupy a space that, it, or we're designed to be occupied by something, which is God, mm -hmm. which we use products to fill that space. Mm -hmm. I think one of the ways I see it manifested a lot in people, and I think this will be helpful and probably revelatory for some people listening. 
we will go to counseling or we will go to a pastor to work through a feeling of jealousy or anger or coveting, or we'll say, man, I feel disrespected by my spouse or my child, or I feel disrespected by my boss. And we'll work through ways to address that behavior and say, well, here's what you should do when you feel angry or when you feel disrespected. And those are all great. You can have great counsel there. But if we don't get to the root and go, hey, maybe part of the reason you feel disrespected and angry is that there's a consumeristic idol of you want more than the person is willing to give you. You want more than the person who works next to you. You feel like you are insufficient compared to somebody else. And so we don't just need to address your anger issue. We don't just need to address coveting. We need to address the fact that you've made a God out of how much you have. Sure. And you feel a lack of satisfaction, a lack of security, and a lack of safety if you are not getting everything that you want and you fill the hole of that dissatisfaction with more stuff. If I could just have another watch, another set of clothes, another car, a different house, if I could watch HGTV and say there's no problem with it, but I'm watching it like it's pornography, going like, oh, if I just had that kitchen, if I just had that backyard, if I just had that person's job or that person's husband, and you're filling your heart with a consumeristic idol, but we're calling it what you're you're calling it. No, I just want I just like nice things. Yeah, but it, it, which nice things are not inherently bad, like you're saying. I think I think what's important about what you're saying there is that cons- I think it's the technicality of the definition. Consumerism is not needing or wanting or loving. That is human nature. Consumerism is a disordered love, need or want believing things, particularly goods and services, can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. I think that is important because sometimes when we're talking about consumerism is a technical definition that has to do with and is tied up with economy, uh, uh, is tied up with capitalism, is tied up with... There's another definition here that I think is really good. It's the consumer culture is a culture in which... um, a country or a culture believes that consuming goods and services in large quantities will be better off economically. Uh, It's also, it can be referred to as a policy that promotes greed since it often promotes buying the latest and newest products. Meaning I think where you can get off course is to talk about consumerism as if needing or wanting or loving things is wrong. So uh, that's that's not the problem. It's that believing that needing or wanting or loving something, an iPhone, a this new gadget, a this or that, will actually solve a problem in your heart. Yes. That's the difference. Well, there's, there's a couple lies mixed up in there, too, because like you're saying, that is absolutely true. If you believe like getting this new thing will resolve something for you, and it's anything other than Jesus Christ, yes. then that thing's going to f- turn out to be empty. Yep. Uh, there's also a lie in our culture that we love to tell each other that newer is better. Yeah. So if this is something new, that means it's better. And it'll even hear people talk about the Bible this way. Why would I believe a book that's written 2,000 years ago? Good. Because that's our culture thinks that way. And I'm going, well, it was a book written 2,000 years ago. It's still around and it's still true. That's actually more it, more impressive than saying, point. here's some yeah. new ideas. Yeah, you're just because you just wrote this song about this and you say, why would I believe that? That's 2,000 years ago. Oh, it survived 2,000 years. It's still just as true today. That's incredible. Not, hey, here's this new thing. I think of it, 
uh, we'll hear teenagers talk about how stupid their grandparents are because their p- grandparents don't know how to work this new technology. I'm like, your, your grandparent stormed the beach at Normandy and you think he's stupid because he doesn't know how to reprogram his iPhone? Mm-hmm. No, he, he knows things you have no idea about. Sure. But because we think newer is better, we get in our minds like, oh, I'm, I've arrived at some new wisdom, some new idea. And I think that idea of newer is better comes from a consumeristic society sure. that always wants you uh, contributing to the market. I even think about post 9-11 America soon after. This might have been the end of that year, might have been the beginning of 2012. Politicians, when they said, what can we do to help the country? They said, we need you to go out. We need you to spend. We need yeah. you to keep this economy going. We need you to rent. We need you to book hotel rooms. We need you to go on vacation. We need you to purchase things for Christmas. Because people were kind of hoarding their incomes and, and feeling unsafe. Sure. And they said, hey, no, no, no. What's going to be safest for us is if everybody keeps purchasing. We depend on your purchase power for the security and safety of the nation. And some of that, like there's, there's truths in that, but you see the ongoing cycle in the machine that can easily lie to you about, well, you're not good enough. You're not safe enough. You're not secure enough unless you are always getting something newer, better and improving. And I think part of even where this conversation has moved is living in this kind of culture and trying to make the argument in a way that we see that that's a belief that is shared without necessarily being acknowledged, meaning it's not something that we wake up and say, I, I want to believe today yeah. that these things that just won't be around that I will outlive are actually going to satisfy my soul. Nobody wakes up and like reads that on their bathroom mirror and then goes out to Carpe Diem, right? But it's this, I think Keller talks about it in his book, which was his follow-up book to Reason for God, which was actually kind of the, it came chronologically after, but was somewhat of like gods. the... No, 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 it was the, the one about... Belief, basically. And he talked about these, um, I think the phrase was tacit beliefs. They are beliefs that your other beliefs are built on that you may not even know that you have. And it requ- to be able to see those, it requires getting outside of where you're at. It requires getting outside of your context to be able to kind of look back into your life in that context to see that. And so in this conversation, there is just a very simple illustration or experience that makes that point. And and maybe we as pastors hear that more often, but somebody goes to a third world country on some sort of short-term mission trip or to do, you know, charity work or justice work, and they'll come back, and almost always one of their comments about their experiences, I was around these people who had this much, and they were so content with the little that they had. And I think that that's it's a it's a um, admirable observation, but I think in the observation, the shock of that observation for those who believe what we believe about God, who follow a Jewish Messiah who lived mostly an impoverished life, it just should not be that alarming, I think, or that shocking to the system. And because it is, I think what it says to us is we're just we're affected by the spirit of this age, I think a lot more than maybe we would want to slow down to acknowledge, right? So how do you think, I think that's a good example, a short-term mission trip, this idea, but how else do you think this consumeristic spirit has infiltrated, maybe is the word, or affects who we are as Christians? Where do you see it inside the church? Yeah, I mean, it's affected everything. I, we, we were talking, um, uh, you were talked a minute ago and you used the term values, Right. Mm-hmm. Well, think about that statement. Before the idea of a consumer culture, before the idea of of 
capitalism in a sense. Nobody used the term. That wasn't a term that people, they used terms like virtues. They used terms like loves. They didn't talk about things you value, meaning Mm. value now has taken on, it's, there's a concept creep. It's taking on all these kind of meetings. So first of all, just to acknowledge, it's not just within the church, it's within the language itself that consumerism has invaded. It's changed the way we even think. So let's talk about within church. Think about the way that people, at least let's say from, I think a good read on this would be from like late 90s to uh, 2012 or something like that. Because I do think church is changing a little bit. But um, the, 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 the idea that people don't want to belong anywhere, they want to be everywhere, they want to go where the best Fill in the blank. Whatever, fill yeah. in the blank. So that can be, I want to be at the church with the best preacher. I want to be at the church with the best programs. I want to be at the church with the best kids, whatever. I want to be at the church with the best worship music. In When you say that, the way you are thinking about church is they have a service, a good that they offer right. that I can come and consume, and I want the best one, which is sort of a consumeristic idea. You know, I want the best phone. I want the best this. I'll do my market research. I'll go in and I'll choose the, you know, top product. And in all of that, what you are doing is you are not coming in and belonging to a community and belonging to the type of place that, that in all honesty, that G, it, you're not looking at the church the way that I think Jesus would want us to look at it, and instead you're looking at church in a consumeristic manner. Yeah. Which moves the, uh, the center of what happens when we gather together, it takes it away from it being Good. an encounter together that we're having with God. And it puts at the center a transaction that's taking place between those who lead the church and those who come to the church. And then those who come to the church are the ones that basically offer the judgment as to if the church did what it was. I I don't know if you get these, but somehow, some way, I got on some sort of mailing list to some kind of church consultant type of group. And they, you know, in any given week, they'll send out, hey, here's how you do this, or here's how you, and, and it's helpful. And I, I'm sure there's some of it that is helpful, but I think two weeks ago, I got an email in the headline said, the, the subject line said, are your visitors having a good user experience? Hmm. And I thought, what? <laughs> I thought a lot of things. Uh, but, but that kind of highlights how the if you were to overlay everything we've said about consumerism and you were just to overlay overlay that onto a sunday morning that kind of highlights it right that kind of question that what it makes is it makes the the goal of what you're doing that on the other side of it you get a good yelp review you right. know what i mean or on the other side of it there are like people walking away with positive experiences and it's just like look gosh when i stand before god at the end of all of this right the, the question will not be around, you know, user experiences and those kinds of things. It'll be around faithfulness, and did you stand re- regardless yeah. of how it was perceived or not perceived or received or not perceived, uh, but did you stand and do the ancient things that the church has been called to do ever since it was birthed 
by a resurrected Jesus who's ascended to the right hand even, of the Father. Even the I, that that is so important what you just said, Jamie. Even the idea that somebody can write a review of a church, think about that on Google or something like that, is the height of a consumer. Do you know the things? What do they call them? The secret shoppers? Oh yeah. Do you know they have that for churches? Yeah. People will come in and they'll be like, "We offer this service to you." I've we'll, always wanted to do that. We'll come in and we'll sit in your church and then we'll tell you what our experience was of it. And I'm like get behind me, Satan. Like, seriously, it is that, I don't care. Yeah. I, I, literally, that is not, we are, I'm not, that's like the seeker sensitive idea. Yeah. This idea that we are not here to offer a user experience. We are here Good. to worship the living God as a family of believers. Can it, I get vulnerable for a second with you guys? Get it. Can I have permission? Yes. Granted. So there was a week, so I've been church plant, we're one year in. Yeah. And there are there are weeks where the questions you guys are asking about user interface, I would use different language. Yeah. But I do think like, okay, how am I how am I doing? How am I doing as a pastor? How are we doing as a church? How are people experiencing this? Is this a preferential church? And I wouldn't use the language in my head, but I think about that. And I'll tell you, it manifests in insecurities That's in it. my heart. There was a week where a couple, this was probably two months into our church came up to me at the end of service and said, we loved the worship today, which they mean the music. Yep. They say, we love the building you guys are in. We're in a school. The kids' ministry seems great. They said, do you know another church that has those, but with different preaching, mm. with preaching that's more like this? Mind you, I had preached the sermon. <laughs> so they came up and said, like, we like everything here. We don't really like the aspect that you had to lead. And do you have any recommendations for us? Which, a couple things I thought there. One, my heart just hurt. Sure. And it was insecurity. It wasn't out of confidence of who I was in Christ. I was like, oh man, I'm the problem here. If my preaching were better, or if I were a better pastor, this would be a better church. And I want to set free for those pastors who listen to this, the insecurity that comes from a consumeristic church culture is real, and it's hard to overcome it with the truth that it is not on you to create a version of yourself that is so broadly appealing that that way your church will grow and you will find success. Mm -hmm. But it is on you to follow the purposes that Christ called you to, to shepherd the sheep. Yes. And even in that moment was an opportunity for me to shepherd those people and not to feed a consumeristic life that said, well, here's on the buffet of churches out there, here's who I'd recommend to you based on what you've told me about your preferences. Preferences are a real thing, and I get it. Absolutely. I would not attend every church out there. There are some churches that I would select and other ones I wouldn't. My wife and I refer to the kind of uh, sinful preferences as amenities. Like if you were shopping for an apartment, you'd be like, what are the amenities here? And there are churches out there that you go, well, I go there because they have you know, this in the lobby, or I go there because they have this incredible you know, fill-in-the-blank barista. You know, I, whatever it is that you go, man, the amenities are not why we're a church. And I don't ever want to call pastors to be like, feed the preferences. I always want to feed the purposes of the church. Yeah. And if somebody wants to be a part of what we're doing at my church, I want it to be because of who we are in Christ and what we're trying to accomplish to see His kingdom come, not because the talent of the musicians on the stage is more appealing than the same church with the same purpose down the street. Yeah. We're not trying to create a commercial version of the church that is so appealing broadly or to a specific group that we want to come that would be great. And at the same time, I want to be a church that takes into account preferences that negate homogeny, I don't want to be a church that says like, well, because we worship like this, that means anybody who looks like this, had this experience growing up or came from this other country will not be able to integrate into the family of God the way we believe scripturally you can. And so I do think preferences are something to explore, but I hope what you hear me say is, pastors, be set free from the insecurity that comes from them, feed the purposes of that church, 
And while preferences are important, I don't want to feed a consumeristic church culture. Yes. And I think two, two things that are really important to say, because what I don't want to sound like is someone who sits in, in the seat of pastor and it's like, well, if the world around us were just more mature, then nobody would ever encounter these kinds of problems, right? Because I think that if you obviously wouldn't use language of user experience, I think that's incredibly misleading uh, and, and makes understanding the nature and purpose of the church much more difficult. But I think that there, there are, there's biblical language that captures the character of who a people should be when they gather, that does speak to things. For instance, like, I want us, we're, we're in Citizens Church right now, I want us to be a hospitable place. Yes. I want, when right outside this room we're in, when, when the single mom with four kids parks right outside that wall, I want it to be uh, easy for her to, to find out where she needs to go, and I want her to be met, that, that, that she could leave after an hour and a half, two hours with us, and say something like, gosh, I just don't really feel like anyone saw me. Those kinds of things are heartbreaking, and those are the kinds of things that I think when, if that's the thing that we're hearing, it's like, okay, our ears need to perk up a bit to just say, how can we mobilize our people to to more faithfully represent the hospitable, generous, welcoming heart of God towards her? Not as someone who we want to think positively about the transaction that took place, but somebody who we want the character of God to be made visible towards her in her in her time here. And so I do I do think that those have to be categories that we're thinking in. The the other thing I would say too is it was it was guys who do the kinds of things that we do that created this. Yeah. yeah. Meaning we're and I don't know all the history behind it, but it's like you go a few decades back and it's like there is a shift towards let's take these things that we're seeing work in, in the world out there, let's bring them into the church, and let's market the same that the businesses market, and let's uh, measure the same that the businesses measure. And so I, I think that I, I also, after having maybe come hard uh, against, right, I also am really um, cognizant of the fact that a lot of people that we're trying to maybe reach or serve they only they are what they are because of what they've known, because mm-hmm. of what the church has contributed to in that confusion. I Absolutely. think it's really important. Yeah, yeah, I think what you're pointing out is really important, that there's a version of, uh, of meeting the needs of people that a church should do yes. and is good, and it can look almost identical, if not identical, to a version of church that is emotionally manipulative, mm. that wants to create a need in you that they feel they can fulfill as an organization or as a group of people, or will fill the ego of the person leading, and I, or will just grow their church. This is how we will grow this church. We're going to do this, this broad appeal the way business does a broad appeal. But what I want to guard against ourselves, and I want us to be discerning as attenders and members of churches about emotionally manipulative strategies, and at the same time, it is fine to be a church that is emotive. It is fine to be a church that does is honest with you about the need that you have. But if what a church markets is only joy all the time, and when we see that in some of our churches that are like, listen, everything's just all happy all the time. And you go, well, that's not a full, honest picture of what we see in the Bible. It's also a, a people who suffer and are willing to suffer. You go, yeah, but that's a less appealing version of the Bible. Well, like, yeah, but it's the true version. Or if what we are is in a church that doesn't talk about sin or doesn't talk about Jesus Christ because I feel like it's less comfortable for them, then I would say that's a church you need to say, this is not my preference or this is not, because it's not the truth of the Bible. Well, that- and if we remove the things that are unappealing, saying because we want to appeal to the masses, and we do it in the name of reaching those who are lost, 
you have to be really careful of what you said earlier, not throwing out the baby with the bathwater and saying, we're, we do want to reach the lost. We are not going to compromise what the Bible does in order to do that. Well, I think the, the, the difference is what you guys are both highlighting. It's there, there's a consumer mindset and there is a mindset of being faithful to the Word of God, right? And yeah. those are very different. And yes, the initial, um, the initial reactions might look the same, but what they're going to lead to are very, very different types of churches. And here's what I mean by that. You have one that says we want to be hospitable. We want to be hospitable because that mirrors the heart of God, and that's what we see in the Bible. We want to be a church that's serious about what we preach, et cetera, and you can kind of go down. We want to seek excellence because uh, we believe that we want everybody has a gift, and we can use those gifts to... Okay, that's one side. The other side, which is the more consumer side, we want to produce this sort of user experience. One will have at its core a heart of people who are looking to please the Lord and who are going to lead out convictionally. They'll be courageous through trial. They will be, um, you will find a sure footing on what the Bible says. The other will be an insecure place that is always reacting to the preferences of the people, right. that never has a sure footing, that's always sort of, draw, you know, it'll be defined by fear and what do we need to change to make sure that people feel this way or that way. So one's beholding to the feelings yeah. of the people who come to consume their products. The other one is beholden to the love of God for his children and for his people. And I'm sorry, but at the end of those, they will look and feel very different. I think one of the things you just brought up was really good too. Fear is such a good uh, a diagnoser of whether or not That's we're great. struggling with this, is if you fear uh, your happiness if you don't get something or don't have it. Or if you're losing it once you do have it, mm. you might have a consumeristic relationship with something. If you're looking towards a product and thinking, man, what if I don't have that? What if I don't have rollerblades? You know, what are people going to think about me? Or what if I don't have a He-Man bike? Or, you know, or once you have it, you fear losing it. Mm. If there's anything that precious to you that has become a rival to your God, it might be something for us to address. So let's, let's land the plane here. Taking Christians going forward. How, what is the way forward for Christians? How do we live lives that don't fall for this, that don't fall for consumerism? I think that the, uh, you know, be, one, being able to have a conversation, being able to be open and honest about the conversation. I think, you, you know, having that, uh, taking the language, right, of maybe need, uh, or taking the language around the, looking at the things that you have and kind of overlaying those biblical princi- principles of like stewardship. But then I, I also think a uh, having those ancient practices in your life that remind you, that help you get comfortable with doing without. So like fasting, right? One of the reasons why some of these spiritual disciplines and, you know, kind of these age-old practices are making a comeback if that's probably not the way to say it, but the reason why maybe they're being talked about more and more in different kinds of circles um, is is because we're we're trying to navigate as Christians now in the culture that we live in how to live prophetically, how to live faithfully and purely 
uh, in this society that we increasingly and increasingly no longer know kind of where we fit with what we believe. And in that, one of the ways to discipline ourselves in that detachment is by welcoming it and inviting it, right? So choosing to, to fast from something is, is, the, is an anti-consumer type mentality to say, I am going to embrace doing without in order that I might be reminded that I already have all that I need and the things that I, I need that I don't have, I'm not going to get in the Apple store. I'm not going to get scrolling through the gram, right? I'm going yeah. to get those things uh, by having my heart pulled back and directed back towards the Lord. That's good. That's really good. I think uh, I would just want to close with this. I think there's an ironic version of church and Christianity in general that tries to offer something to people as if like we are another product in the marketplace, as if, you know, oh, you need that, but actually what you need is Jesus. And we market Jesus like he's a commodity. You need this Jesus instead. The truth is that we transcend and supersede what the market has done with consumerism. And what people actually need is a relationship with God. Mm. And it's not just like, hey, are you sad? What you need is a Jesus. No, what we believe is like, in sadness and in sorrow, the hope that you have is a relationship with the God of the universe made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. And so while we ironically will try to kind of play the game that our world is playing, we have something that transcends it and is better than it. And I don't want to be a church. I don't want to be an individual that falls prey to a consumeristic, materialistic mind that says the next thing, uh, the next thing is what will make me feel better. And uh, I don't want to treat Christ like that either. I want to be a people who speak truth about a better story that we have to offer than the one they've been told by the latest commercial or by the latest product. And that is not just that Jesus is better than Tide at cleaning things. It's not just that, you know, Jesus is better than the dating app at fulfilling your relationship problems. Although those things are true, he is not one of those things to choose from. He transcends them all. Thank you for listening to today's episode. It was mixed and edited by Chris Starrett, produced by David Roark. We are looking forward to the rest of the season. If you liked what you heard today, you can rate and review us online. Thanks for listening.